0: Okay. Well, hey, listen. Welcome to uh, New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. If you would, go ahead and find a seat. That would be great. Hey, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It is a, it is a privilege to have you guys with us. How many of you guys are excited to be at church today? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Take that, North Platte. All right. Yeah. We're excited to be here. Yeah. I bet you there's like this little thing happening. Maybe like go to like a like a like a football game and you know one side you know screams one thing and the other side screams another thing. Yeah, we should try that sometime. Like get a we'll get a camera. We'll put it onto our plat. Which by the way, I can still see you guys. All right. So Lance, I can see you in the booth. So be Pay attention. Um, but down in, uh, what if we did that? That would be pretty cool. They have a camera up there, right? We could shout back and forth and be like, Corny, Norplett, Corny, Norplett. We'd we'll just end with New Life, right? It would be United. It's New Life United. So you need to come out to the New Life United uh, coming up this Friday, this Friday. You got to be there. Don't miss it. If you got something else on the schedule, it better be with somebody really important or otherwise cancel it, all right? That's a directive from your pastor. Okay, so actually it's a suggestion, my bad. Um, I'm not a dictator. I'm just a suggester. So I make suggestions. You have to decide whether you're going to apply the truth. Um, you like how that sounds? That's the power of the, of the mic, I guess. I don't know. It's a scary power, though. I'm telling you right now. You've got to be careful. Um, okay, so um, anyways, I, I just want to say that you guys are in one of our four worship services in one of three locations and I'm saying hello to all those that are down in the venue as well as in North Platte. Hey, we're going to kick off today where we are in a teaching series called I Am Second. That's right, because that's how we're trying to live. And that means who gets to be first? Okay, there you go. Yeah, it's a little mixed up. We don't really, we're uncertain who gets to be first right now. That's why we're in this series, all right? We, we know we've got to live as second. We're just trying to figure out how to make Jesus first. So that's the goal. Jesus first. You live second, that's kind of what we're hunting after. We're going through uh, first kings and second kings. We're going to jump through a few stories there um, and find our way through this journey. Today, uh, our white chair is going to be filled with a, with a testimony later on from some good friends of mine, uh, Jerry and Pam Lammers. You're going to hear them as a couple share their story. It's going to be fantastic. So let's get started today. Um, have you guys ever um, you know, put together anything? Have you ever built anything? Have you ever gone to the store? Have you ever downloaded software? Have you ever bought a new car? Have you ever had anything that came with instructions? Let me see your hand if you had. Okay, every single one of you. Wouldn't it be awesome if when babies are born, they came with instructions? Yeah. yeah. It's like one of the most important things. No instruction manual. All right, it's crazy. You can download software and get an instruction manual that's 365 pages long. You can have a baby and they smack you on the rear and they go, get into the game. All right, and that's kind of the way it goes. So if you guys ever, have you ever like, you know, got some new software and you're messing around with it, but you didn't even go look at the instructions, you just started messing with it and just learned it along the way? That's what I do. You download a new app. Who wants to read the instruction page, right? Just go and just start messing with it. It should be intuitive anyways. You know, have you, have you ever had a situation, Wambi, where you were putting together one of those boxes you went to, Target or Walmart, and you bought, you bought the, uh, you know, the chest of drawers and you took it home and you're like... You threw away the instructions and you just built it because you kind of knew the long piece and the short pieces and how they went together. It was pretty simple, right? So yes, you've done it. Have you ever bought a car, a used car or a new car, and you never read the owner's manual? You just got in the car on day one, stuck the key in, turned it and drove away? All of you probably have. And if you haven't, you're going to. All right? Because it's this is that's the way it goes. You know what happens when we get our hands on things like software or a car or we're trying to build something and we don't read the owner's manual? We don't read the instructions? Two critical things happen. First off, we, we notoriously end up breaking something. So have you ever broke something in the midst of that little journey? Of course you have, right? I mean, I have. I tighten a screw down too tight and then snap. And then I go back to the instruction that says, do not over-tighten. I'm like, oh, great. I wish you would have told me that, right? Well, it was trying to tell me. I just wasn't reading it. Or, you know, so not only do you break things, but many times, guess what else happens? You end up overlooking something. You, You like, you don't maximize it. I've had software before where I've been working on it. And then someone else comes into my office and they sit down with me and they go, why are you doing it that way? I go, well, man, that's the way you're supposed to do it. That's the way I learned to do it. I've been working with it that way ever since I got it. And they say, well, you know, there's a way easier way to tackle that. No, there's not. Yeah, let me show you. And then they do it. And you're like, what? They go, yeah, if you just would have read the instructions, you would have figured that out. So we don't maximize things and we end up breaking things. That's exactly the same thing that happens in our relationship with God. We have an owner's manual. It's called the Bible. We try to avoid reading the Bible, or when we read it, we read it for some religiosity sake, like I read the Bible today, I did my one verse today, and we move on. We try to avoid reading the manual and just jump into the game and hope to make it happen without any consequences. We trust more in our abilities than we trust in God's strength. We trust more in our intellect than we trust in God's insight. We even trust in our own ability to manage our finances instead of trusting in God's provision and in God's management. And what ends up happening notoriously? We end up hurting relationships with others. We end up destroying our finances. We end up living powerless Christianity. We even end up, you know, entangled in the trap of our own sin and then someone comes to us with the manual and they say, hey, here's, here's a verse. Someone comes to us with you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and they share with us you know, what, what God's you know, revealed to them. And then we take that one verse and we apply it to our lives. And then, wow, isn't that amazing? Things begin to change. But yet we still try to avoid the manual. I'll have people try to avoid the manual and come and say to me, Jeff, I'll tell you what. My life would be radically different. I mean, I would, I would know exactly what to do and how to follow God if God just came and he opened up the heavens and he spoke to me and he said, Jeff, here's what you need to do. I always sit there in amazement. And in, in my mind, and prayerfully, it doesn't come out of my mouth, I think to myself, really? I mean, I don't, I don't doubt you. Would, you. would you follow that if God said it? yes. But the really is like really, how long would it last? How long would that miraculous message of God last as fuel in your life? Will it last forever? Really? What makes it last forever is a change of the heart, not the miraculous thing that took place. The miraculous is like a seed that has to be planted into a soil, and that soil is your heart, and that heart has to be cultivated for the cause of Christ. And when it is, when the miraculous takes place, yes, then your life is totally, it could, it could turn a 180 and you can head in the complete other direction. But if our heart isn't in the right place, then man, you're, you're never going to touch heaven. You're never going to do something that is really going to be you know, amazing in our, in our lives. And today we're looking at the concept of If you want to live as second, then you you have to trust in God's guidance over your own. Let me tell you where you get God's guidance. Let me tell you where it starts. It starts when your knees hit this earth. When your knees hit the ground, that's the time you start touching heaven. That's the time when you really start trusting in God. When you really start trusting in God's ways is when your knees hit the ground. In prayer, when your knees hit the ground and surrender, you know, and you start hunting in God's word for life. When your knees hit the ground and you say, It's not about me, it's about you. When your knees hit the ground and you stop running and your knees hit the ground and you say, God, unless you come through, nothing's gonna happen. That's when we really start trusting in God's guidance. And that's when we start living a second instead of first. So today, let's go on a little bit of a journey of how can we truly learn how to trust in God's guidance and live as second to Christ. We're going to jump in to 1 Kings chapter 13, where you're going to hear the account of a king, King Jeroboam, and an experience that he has. And listen for how he either trusts God, trusts God's guidance, or he doesn't trust God's guidance. Let's hear that from one of our people on our drama team. Listen up.
1: My name is Jeroboam. God chose me to rule over ten tribes of Israel after Solomon died. During the feast of Succoth, a man of God from Judah came and cried out against the altar I had built to the golden calf gods and commanded the people to worship. As I stretched out my hand, to have the guards arrest him for treason against my authority. Right before my eyes, the arm shriveled up. I could not draw it back to my body. I realized then that I was in the presence of more power than I could ever comprehend or control. So I begged the man of God to cry out to the Lord, his God, to restore my arm. Amazingly, and to my relief, the arm was restored almost immediately. But my mind was still reeling, trying to understand what kind of man this was. I wanted to reward him for the restoration of my arm, so I invited him to the palace to eat and drink with me. To my amazement, he said no. He said that his God had told him, commanded him not to eat or drink anything in this land and not to go back by the road he had come on. He also said, if I were to give him up to half of everything I had, he would not come and eat and drink with me. I wasn't used to being denied. When I asked people to come to the palace to eat, they came, as they well should. I had the best of the best and more than most people would see in a lifetime. Yet, this man was different. He didn't even go back by the same road he came on. There was an old prophet in Bethel And his sons came and told him about the encounter I had had with the man of God. And he asked them if they had seen the road that the man took when he left. Then he had him saddle his donkey and went out to find the man. He found him under an oak tree, and he went up to him and said, "Come back and eat, drink with me at my home." But the man of God remembered the command that the Lord had given him not to eat or drink anything in this land. Then the old prophet lied to him. He said, I too am a man of God. And God's angel appeared to me and said, Bring the man back to eat and drink in your home with you. So the man of God went back with the old prophet. And as they were eating and drinking, the Spirit of God came upon the old prophet, and he cried out immediately and said, You have defied the word of the Lord. Because you have not followed his command, you will not be buried in your own tomb or with your own people. What an awful thing to do to a prophet. Lie to him, deceive him, curse him. After they'd finished eating and drinking, the old prophet saddled the man's donkey and he sent him on his way. As the man was riding on the road home, he encountered a lion. And the lion attacked and killed him and left his body lying on the road between the lion and the donkey. Well, passers-by saw the spectacle and the old prophet soon heard what had happened. And he was overwhelmed with grief or possibly guilt. He saddled his donkey and went out and recovered the man's body and buried it in his own grave. He said to his sons, when I die you need to bury my bones next to the bones of the man of God because he was a true prophet unlike me. My story is very similar to that. I listened to my own desires and the desires of others when all I had to do was simply obey. I had a true Word from God, from the prophet. And I knew what to do. But I was led astray, much as the prophet of God was led astray. I listened to my own voice and the voice of others over the voice of God. I made a choice. I chose to walk in my own path and live my own way. My name is Jeroboam, and I am first.
0: What we're trying to avoid throughout this entire series is for your story to end at the end of your days with your name and that you lived as first. That's not the way we want you to end We don't want you to end like Jeroboam did, where no matter what he saw or what he experienced, he still did life the way he wanted to. We want to help you learn how to put your complete trust in God's guidance, your complete trust in God's spirit, and to end with with the statement on your gravestone that says, my name is Jeff Baker. I lived as second. So to do that, there's a few things we need to learn about trusting in God's guidance. And the first one is this. We have to recognize and we have to value God's guidance. Have you ever put a high value on something like a a vehicle, as an example? You know, I can remember times when maybe I wanted a sports car, like a Corvette, or I wanted a Camaro. And it was amazing to me that when I put a value on wanting that thing so bad, that they were everywhere on the road. I mean, I began to spot those things all the time. I can't even remember a time when, you know, I was in high school and I thought, you know it would be really cool? if I had one of those VW bugs, like the old school style, right? And that would be really cool. I'll put some big wheels on the back, little ones on the front, make like a little sand rider out of it. And I started seeing those, those VW bugs everywhere. It was amazing how when I put my value on something, how it just starts standing out, where before it just drifted into the background. And the same thing can happen for you when it comes to God's voice. You can, if you put a higher value on hearing God's voice, I'm guaranteeing you that you're going to start running into God's voice more often. You're going to start hearing it more often. When you put a value on it, you're going to start recognizing it way more often. See, that's what happened for Jeroboam. Jeroboam, however, he, he recognized God's voice, but he didn't put a value on God's voice. He recognized it clearly, and we have an account of at least two moments when God speaks to him. You just heard about the second one that took place in First Kings chapter thirteen, but there was another moment when a prophet came to him in First Kings chapter eleven. I think one of the things you need to know about a prophet coming to a man in the time period where First Kings is happening is number one, it's rare. Number two, I mean, this one man, a prophet, walking on the earth, and he happens to find you, and he brings God's Word to you. It's like God's Spirit speaking directly to you. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 11, that's when Jeroboam first hits the biblical scene. He shows up. He's probably a teenager. He's working for King Solomon. He's helping him build his temple and his palace, and he is one sharp, you know, man he's strong. Jeroboam was strong. Jeroboam was a natural born leader. Jeroboam was the kind of man that other people followed and they liked following him. Jeroboam was a man of great influence. And when he spoke, other people listened and King Solomon recognized this like any good king. And he starts promoting Jeroboam up through the ranks until finally he puts Jeroboam over thousands and thousands of people. He has armies underneath him. He has workers underneath him. You know, he has finance underneath him. He has a lot under him. He's been given a lot of power and authority, and other people are recognizing it as well, not just the king. All the way to the point where the, where the prophet of his time finds Jeroboam going out of Jerusalem. He may have been leaving for the day. He could have been going to see his, his widowed mother, um, but he was leaving, and the prophet follows him, gets him at this moment and says, hey, son, come with me off of the path into a field, and I got something I got to share with you. It says in 1 Kings chapter 11 that the prophet had a brand new robe on, and he takes the robe and he rips it into 12 pieces, and he hands Jeroboam 10 of those pieces, and he says to him, Jeroboam, because of Solomon, King Solomon's sin, God's going to divide the nation of Israel, and Jeroboam, you're going to lead 10 of the 12 tribes, that God was going to leave the other tribes with Solomon, but he's going to give you 10 of them. Now, That's a pretty powerful statement when you still have the king, King Solomon, still in place. Well, this kind of stuff probably went to, you know, his head a little bit, um, like it would maybe any of us. It kind of overwhelmed him, but the word got back to King Solomon. And when King Solomon heard about this, he was so intimidated by this, you know, prophet who gave this young man this prophecy of how he's going to overtake his throne that King Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam had to flee to Egypt. But while the prophet was sharing this with Jeroboam in the field, he says some very strong directives. He gives some guidance that he wants Jeroboam to recognize and to value. He says this to him in 1 Kings chapter 11. He says, Jeroboam, if you listen to what I, every time there's an I, every time there's a my, replace that with God. It's God's voice speaking through the prophet." If, Jeroboam, you listen to what God tells you and follow God's ways and do whatever God considered to be right, and if you obey God's decrees and commands as my servant David did, then God will always, always be with you. That's a powerful promise. God will establish an enduring dynasty for you as I did for David, and God will give Israel to you. What? a powerful statement giving to a young man. You would assume that based on that type of clarity, that Jeroboam would have recognized God's voice and he would have valued it and he would have ended up doing what was right in God's eyes, right? No, because when he returns from Egypt in chapter 12 of 1 Kings, he comes back and he's established as the king of these 10 tribes in the north, north of Jerusalem in Israel. When he's the king of these 10 tribes, you wanna know one of the first things he does? He gathers gold, and he has two uh, golden calves forged, and he creates these two temples, and he tells all the Israelites, this is where you go to worship. I have new priests that work these things, and there's golden calves there. By the way, the golden calf, the golden calf rescued you out of Egypt. The golden calf represents, it really is your God. Now, there was one other time that golden calves really came to the surface, There was another moment, Moses is on top of the mountain, the Israelites have just come out of Egypt, they're walking in the desert, Moses is meeting with God on top of this mountain for 40 days. Aaron, his right-hand man, is down with the millions of Israelites, they're losing hope, they don't know what to do, so they demand to Aaron, hey, collect the gold and make us what? Two, make us a calf made out of gold that we might worship. The deception that came early when they lost hope was the deception that the king, King Jeroboam, was bringing back to the people again. Unacceptable to God. Completely unacceptable to God. In fact, he goes on in chapter 13, and he, he brings these, these, uh, the, these golden caps onto these altars, and Jeroboam himself shows up to give worship to one of them. He's going to make a sacrifice to one of them. And as he's getting ready to make the sacrifice, what you've just heard in that monologue form is what takes place. This new prophet shows up from Judah. That's the that's the tribe that's living south of him. He shows up and he walks into that temple and he walks up to that altar and he points at this altar and he defies it. And he says, this altar is going to come crushing down today. It's going to be split in half and the ashes that have been burnt on it to these golden calves are going to pour out into the ground. Oh, and there's one more thing of which you and me are going study later on in this series. I'm going to raise up this young man. His name is going to be Josiah. He's going to be the king. That king's going to turn the people back to me. Now when Jeroboam heard that, that's when he stretched out his hand, right? And he says, he basically says these words. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed at him and he shouted, seize that man. But instantly the king's hand became paralyzed in that position and he couldn't pull it back. He recognized this is powerful. He recognized this is a man of God, but he didn't value him enough to follow him. He didn't value him enough to listen to him. But I'll tell you what, when that hand shriveled up and the pain of that and the, and, and the inability to move his fingers again and it's just all shriveled up and he can't do anything with it, all of a sudden... God got his attention and he did the right thing. And he says this to the prophet. The king cried out to the man of God, please ask the Lord your God. Notice that. Your God. That's how, that's how he had drifted. Your God to restore my hand again. So that the, so the man of God prayed to the Lord and the king's hand was restored and he could move it again. Now you would think after this experience, surely. Surely he's recognized God's voice and he values it enough to do what God's asked him to do and to lead as a godly king and to lead a godly people, but not so. And you and me are very much like Jeroboam. We need to be a people that come to a place where we don't just recognize God's voice, but we put a high value on God's voice. How are you going to do that? How are you gonna recognize and put a value on God's voice? Let's go to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. Jesus said that, read this with me, by the way. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Three things. My sheep listen to my voice. That's where the recognition is going to come. But how do you recognize something if you're not listening for it? One of the things that you and me are going to have to do if we're going to start recognizing God's voice is we're going to have to get ourselves into the manual. We're gonna to have to drop to our knees because when you drop to your knees, that's when you begin to touch heaven, right? It's not, God's not impressed by all the things you do. God's impressed by when you drop to your knees and you humble yourself and you get your, you get your face into God's word and you start going, God, I'm in a position to listen because when you're in a position to listen, that's when you can hear his voice. That's when you're gonna recognize it. For some of us, we just gotta slow down we got to stop justifying our prayer life as the time from our home to our work and start setting aside some time so we can really listen. It's hard to listen when you're praying and you're you're trying to not curse at the person who just cut you off. And the radio's blaring. And the kids are in the back screaming. And the clock's ticking down and you're trying to get to work on time. It's really hard to listen with all of those distractions. There isn't any other way to get around it it's hard to drop to your knees when you're driving. It's hard to drop to your knees. Don't do it, by the way. Don't do it. You're going, to be, you're going to feel this week to be tempted to do it. Don't do it. All right? Don't blame it on me either. It's hard to do that with all the distractions. It's hard to drop to your knees, even in moments like this. But I want to encourage us all. When we find those moments where we drop to our knees, you can begin to listen. You know what you're listening for? Obviously, you're listening for God's voice, but you know what you're going to hear in the midst of that? You're going to hear God saying the second part of that passage, which is this, I know you. Where does value come from anyways? Where does your value come from? Does it come from your title at work? Does it come from your status in life? Does it come from the amount of zeros that are in your bank account? Does it come from that moment in time when you met that one famous person and you got that picture and man, you'll never forget that. My value's there. Where where does your value come from? May I suggest to you today that your value should come from the fact that God himself says, I know you. Your identity should be wrapped up in the fact that God knows you. There should be a smile that goes onto your face when you think about the fact that God, the creator of the universe, knows you. When he says he knows you, it's not like, oh, I can pick your face out of a crowd. Oh, I can go one step beyond that. I can pick your face out and I can say your name. To us, we feel like, wow, someone really knows us today if they can pick us out of a crowd and know our name. We almost call that person friend. God, when God says, I know you, it's not just a fact he can pick you out of the seven plus, you know, billion people that are on this earth He can pick you out right now at this moment and know your name, but he knows you inside and out. He knows what you're wrestling with right now. He knows what you're wrestling with in your thoughts. He knows what you're wrestling with in this life. God knows you. Do you hear me today? I'm only quoting scripture to you. This is not my opinion. This is fact. That's where your value comes from. Your self-worth comes from the fact that he knows you. It's only then that the third part of that passage gets activated and they follow me. You follow because you had a value to recognize God's voice. And you recognize that your value comes from God knowing you. God, you're for me, you're not against me. And when you recognize God's voice and you have a value for God's voice, now what's the byproduct of that? Action, you follow him. So many of us are so focused on trying to follow him. Man, I just gotta follow him. If I can just, oh man, I just gotta follow God, follow God. And you're missing the points. You first gotta slow down to recognize his voice. Put yourself in a position to listen. Maybe ask God more questions. If questions to God don't have to come out of a spirit of doubt, they can come out of a spirit of curiosity. God, why does your scripture say this? God, why, why did this have to happen to King Jeroboam? You can ask those kinds of questions, and I believe God's Spirit will you know, help reveal those things to you. You've got to put yourself in that spot. Instead of focusing on the action, The act, let the action be the byproduct of that all. So we have to recognize and put a value on God's voice. What else can we learn about trusting God's guidance? We can learn this, that we have to stay focused and we have to follow through on God's guidance. So I want us to look and. 1 Kings chapter 13, I want us to look at the man of God who comes to the king to prophesy to him. And he brings with him this powerful message, but he also brings with him this strict guidelines from God on what he can do and what he can't do. And once the king's hand shriveled up and then the man of God prays for him and his hand gets restored, what did the king want to do? He wanted to say, hey, hey, man, come over to my palace. I want to hang out with you for a while. I want to have more discussion. I want to eat with you. I want to bless you, right? That's what he wanted to do. But what did the man of God do? Take a look. But the man of God said to the king, even if you gave me half of everything you own, which would be a lot, I would not go with you. I would not eat or drink anything in this place. Why? For the Lord gave me this command. I recognize that God spoke to me, and I value it more than I value what you're saying to me, king. The Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there, and do not return to Judah by the same way that you came. What did he do? He rejected the audience with the king. He stayed focused, and he followed through because he recognized God's voice. And he wasn't, and he had a value for it. He wasn't going to let anything or anyone, even the power of a king. And by the way, the authority of being welcomed into the king's palace, just think about the demeanor that he would have had after that moment. Just think about what he could have said when he would, when he would go around and say, yeah, you know where I was last week? (laughs) Yeah, man, I, I was in the king's palace. I ate with him. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Hey, listen, see that stain? See that stain on my cloak? Yeah. That's from the king's gravy. Let me tell you, his gravy is good, baby. You know what I'm saying? Look, here's a selfie I took, me and the king. It's etched in stone. It doesn't look a lot like me. It took a while. I moved when they were taking it. Carry this big selfie around. Make you value your cell phone better. (laughs) However, when he came... And he ran into this false prophet everything changed for him. When he ran into the false prophet the prophet says to him, "Hey, come and eat with me. Come stay at my house." And he immediately tells the false prophet exactly what he told the king, "I can't do it. God gave me strict orders. Thanks a lot, but I'm out of here." But then all of a sudden he becomes he gets tricked. The false prophet says these words to him. He said to him, "I'm I am also a prophet. Hey, man from judah come on i'm one of you you and me you know i'm a prophet as you are and look what he says what does he say uh, uh, what an angel spoke to me by the word of the lord saying bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and he may drink water an angel spoke to him huh? but he lied to him angel didn't speak to him so The man of God from Judah went back with him and he ate bread in his house and he drank water. And you know how the rest of the story goes because you heard the monologue. He gets mauled by a lion. Because he he ends up caving on the very thing that that he loved. He ends up caving on God's word and a value for it and staying focused and following through. He ends up caving and walking away. Why? Why does he do that? What happens here to this man? He gets deceived. He allows man's voice to trump God's voice. He allows this false prophet who he's never met before to walk into his presence and to claim to be all godly and to say to him, I had a message from who? An angel. Well, Who did he have his message from? God. Which one trumps the other? God's voice trumps it. God's voice trumps man's voice. God's voice trumps an angel's voice. And the guy didn't even hear from an angel. He was lying to him anyways. Have you ever been in a place where you got tricked or you got led astray by someone that you called friend? Has that ever happened to you? I bet it's never happened to you. It happened to me. Let me just tell you one of those moments. Fifth grade, I am the top of the top dog's. At fifth grade. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the most powerful. I'm not the sharpest, and I probably wasn't the cutest, but I'm at the top of the echelon. You know, kindergarten through fifth grade, you are the chief honcho walking around because after that, you got to go to middle school and start all over again at the bottom. So you got to maximize it. And I'm given this opportunity in fifth grade to get out of school early and a position of power to go to a a street corner right near the school and I had to wear the sash and get out there and stand in the street and stop cars so that little third graders could walk by any of you guys have that assignment and they probably never give that assignment you know away to kids today would they would they still do that with a parent not there are you serious what does our society come to so anyways, I'm out there. I'm walking with my friends, though, and we're, we left school early. That was really the only reason why we did it. So we left school early. We're walking down there. We're, you know, bebopping around, goofing off. And one of my friends, he pulls out this pack of papers, right? And he goes, guys, look what I got. I got this from my dad's stuff. We're like, what is that? I've never seen these before. They're like, what is that? Oh, these are the papers, man. We, 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 you can roll up a cigarette in it. Really? Wow. Did you, did you like, what are we roll it up with? He goes, I don't know, he rolled up with, like, grass or something. <laughs> rolled up with grass? Seriously, that's why these guys are standing around smoking is grass? You know, I mean, maybe, maybe if it was, like, something that was, you know, illegal to smoke. But no, these guys were literally meaning grass. Like, grows in your yard. So we, we go up to this yard that has this zoysia grass growing in it. And we get down and we, we pick out these pieces because they're all brown at that time. It's like fall. And we stick it in this paper and we roll it up and we lick it and then we light it. Like little grass things are sticking out the end. It catches on fire. You gotta blow it out. Everyone's coughing and hacking, but we roll up another one and I get out there and I'm, I'm literally, I got this cigarette hanging out of my mouth. I'm not joking. This self-rolled cigarette that's smoking, probably on fire, and I got this sash on and I'm like, stop. Uh, all right, let's go. I'm a fifth grader. I'm a fifth grader. Now, here's what, this is the craziest part. All right, all my friends, are, they're standing over there because it's not their job to get out there. And I look at them and they're like, yeah, cool, dude, cool. Cool, yeah, defy the man, right? I mean, we're just out there like we're like rebels without a cause. And I, I, I got this cigarette in my mouth and I turn around to stop the next car and I'm staring right into the eyes of my father. It was priceless. As, as a dad, as a dad with, like, having raised four kids, those are priceless moments. You, you just got to love the fact that God ordered your steps to be at that spot at that time. And he probably held back the laughter once he realized that I've got these pieces of grass sticking out. I still got in some serious trouble, don't get me wrong. And Dad, if you're watching, I still remember it, and thank you for loving me afterwards. Um, but your friends can lead you astray. Now, sometimes you get led astray. It's little stuff like that. But what, what happens when you get led astray spiritually like this man, this man of God had happened to him? Because I'm telling you, the day and age in which you and me live, there are a lot of false prophets out there that are trying to lead Christ-centered people astray. Jesus said these words in Matthew. He said, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and they will what? The enemy is out there trying to deceive people so they don't focus and follow through on what the Holy Spirit has to say to them. In the day and age in which we live, where Christianity is under attack and false false messages of Christ are being risen moment after moment, you've got to guard yourself with solid doctrine. Where are you going to find solid doctrine? you got to drop to your knees so you can start touching heaven. That's where you're going to find it. Yeah, keep coming on Sundays, and we're going to keep helping you. But during the week, you got to find time to drop to your knees and touch heaven through God's Word. you got to drop to your knees and touch heaven through prayer. If you don't start guarding your heart with that, I'm telling you, the false message and a false messenger is on your heels. Somewhere, somehow, one day, and you know what? I, I pray to God that it's not the day that you trip and fall flat on your face. My, my prayer is that this church will continue to grow and continue to train and continue to help people to know who the real Jesus is. Even Paul wanted that. Paul wanted that for the church in Corinth because Jesus says, hey, many are gonna come being the Messiah, all right? That might be one that you're going, I can, I can tell when someone's a false Messiah, Jeff. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, listen to what Paul had to say about this whole issue. He's speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, and the enemy is cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Who considers themselves to be sincere, devoted, pure in their devotion to Christ? He's saying to them, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received when we came and ministered to you, or a different gospel from the one that you accepted, what do you do with it? You put up with it easily enough. You need to know today, Satan is still roaming around seeking whom he may devour. He's never stopped. He's cunning and he's sharp and he's coming after people just like he came after Eve and he tricked her in the garden. When everything was perfect, when everything was just the way it ought to be, the enemy comes and steals it all away with a simple lie of deception and you need to be watchful today. Don't entertain, and don't give yourself, don't give in to, and and don't give give way for. Don't, Don't easily put up with what I call the three truths and one lie preachers. You know those kind of people that they bring so many things that seem like truth and then they slip the one lie in. It's like three things that line up with God's word and then all of a sudden, let me tell you about what I believe though. Let me tell you what I believe instead of what God believes. The three truths and a lie guys are the ones that are gonna come and they're gonna be seriously cunning because that's what Satan does. Three truths and a lies guys. What, What are some of their most common messages right now on this planet? End time speculation. Speculation. They take things that they speculate at and they turn them into truth. And it leads people astray. Listen, I'm, I love looking at the end times. But one thing I know about the end times is it's gonna be the end times and there's some of it I just can't figure out. But when people take things that they can't figure out and they speculate at them and then they call them truth and then they shove them down people's throats, that starts leading the church astray. Why? It gets them more focused on things that might come instead of the mission that we're supposed to be living today. It puts fear in the hearts of people instead of putting hope in the hearts of people to go win the lost. Stay focused on Jesus. They preach a gospel that is a prosperity gospel that everybody's gonna become rich and everybody should have this or everybody should have that and if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. That's misleading people. There's a self-promoting prophets. If a prophet has to come and self-promote himself, rule number one, he's not a prophet. What did the prophet do when he walked into the king's chambers in 1 Kings chapter 13? Did he walk in and go, hey, everybody, sit down. The prophet's in the house. Flip his robe. Get ready for his message. He walks right up to the altar and he just does his business. That's when you know the man's the prophet. Be leery of people that walk around and they say, I have a revelation from God that nobody else has. And by the way, no one else will have. Be leery of them. Be leery of people that preach a message that Jesus is so full of grace that there is no hell. Be leery of those. Be watchful for those. So how can you distinguish between the false spirit and God's spirit? Let's practice this one simple thing today. 1 John 4 2 says this. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that, read that with me, that Jesus Christ came in a real body. So if a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. So now the big question is this. What does it mean to believe that Jesus came in a real body? And I think what you're gonna find is the answer to that is much, much more broad than what you thought. That Jesus came in a real body. Here's the kind of questions you wanna ask if you're ever caught in that kind of a situation. You just walk yourself right through the doctrine of Christ. Number one. You need to ask a person, was Jesus born of a virgin? And the answer to that would be? Yes. Okay, that's where you're going for. Did Jesus live a sinless life? Yes. yes. Was Jesus fully God and fully man? Yes. yes. Is Jesus God's only son? Yes. See, the answer to those things all have to be yes, but that's not where it ends. If you really want to know if they believe that Jesus came in a real body, then you have to continue asking questions. Did Jesus die on the cross for the sins of man? Yes. yes. Did Jesus raise from the dead on the third day? Yes. yes. Did the death and resurrection of Jesus pay the full price for our sin? Yes. yes. Don't get weary, by the way. Let me hear a yes on the end of this one if you, if you think it's true. Is Is faith in Jesus the only way to eternal life with God in heaven? That's what it means to believe in a real Jesus who came with a real body. If you can't get yes on those, then walk away. Don't entertain that voice any longer. Don't keep watching that channel. Turn that thing off. Walk away from that auditorium. Get yourself out of there. Just go away. Flee it. Turn, go the other way. Unless you sense God's calling you to challenge it, then challenge it. But after you challenge it, bust. Because you've got an enemy that's trying to deceive and devour you. But what we know is that Jesus is victorious. We know that God's powerful. We know that one of the ways we know that, and one of the ways that we overcome that enemy is by the power of our testimony. So what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the testimony of two people in our church that have found the real Jesus. They fell in love with him, and they had their life transformed by him. Would you please welcome Jerry and Pam Lammers?
2: Pam and I are truly amazed at what God has done in our lives. He took two broken people that were way off in the ditch brought us back out of that ditch, transformed our lives. Then he brought us together and then he uses us to share the message of Jesus Christ. I started drinking when I was in high school and it relieved those insecurities that were inside of me that I never measured up, you know, and and, uh, that drinking continued on for about 11-12 years after high school and it got way worse. Uh, One morning About 4 or 5 o'clock, I came to and and, uh, too scared to get out of bed and uh, too sick to get out of bed, and yet I got out of bed. Uh, I'd been not remembering drunk for about four or five days. And I went to that pickup, and I found a can of beer and opened it, and I'm starting to back out of the garage. And as I back out of the garage, the pickup won't go any further it won't move there was nothing behind it other than today I'm convinced God was standing back there and anyhow I drove back into the garage and got out of the pickup threw the can of beer away and I went into my office and I fell down on my knees and I said God if if there is a God here I am and you do with me whatever you you will you send whoever you will and I'll follow and there was an overwhelming God's presence in that room. And for the first time in my life, I knew. I knew in here where I lived that God was real. He was personal to me. And that he would help me. And that very moment, my new life began.
3: I believe I was born an alcoholic just waiting to add the alcohol. As long as I can remember, I never felt like I fit in anywhere, even in my own family. For many years, I believed that I was adopted, and they just weren't telling me. You know, I drank off and on sporadically through my teens and 20s, but in my 30s, my drinking drastically increased. And this ended up in a totally immoral lifestyle, alcoholism, divorce, broken family. I came to one morning shortly after my 40th birthday. I came to in my car out by the state lake by Ravana. And it wasn't the first time that had happened because it wasn't uncommon after being in a fight with the man I was living with at that time. But this particular morning, I knew something was different. Something had changed inside here, and I knew I couldn't go on living like I I had been living and I didn't know it was God at the time that God had intervened in my life and I didn't have to drink again after that morning and even though I didn't know it was God because I didn't know God I'd heard about God I knew some about him but I wasn't sure I believed in him he started putting people in my life that very day to help me on this new path and that's the day my new life began
2: the very hand of God put Pam and I together using the spiritual steps of the, of the program called Alcoholics Anonymous
3: I totally agree with that because it wasn't the physical that initially drew us together it was sharing our hearts and our spiritual journeys that brought us to the point of becoming best friends falling in love and getting married twenty-plus years ago
2: Uh, we realize christ must be first in each other's life and then and christ is also the glue that bonds the two of us together
3: and we've also uh... come to better understand that some of the some of the things that are necessary For us to keep our focus on Christ and also that it's through his power we're able to do them.
2: Uh, We seek God's will in our lives and we strive to obey the Holy Spirit's leading.
3: We recognize each other as the gift from God that they are. We try to accept and love the other without trying to change him.
2: We encourage each other to have a quiet time with God each day and we share a quiet time together.
3: We pray together daily, sometimes several times a day, and we attend church together.
2: We each facilitate a life group and we attend a life group together.
3: We mentor others individually, and if God places someone in front of us at the time we minister to them as a team.
2: We're each other's accountability partners and we challenge each other to grow spiritually.
3: We laugh a lot together as we share the joys of living as overcomers. And there's times when we cry together because of the painful trials of living as a believer.
2: After we do our uh, Bible reading in the morning daily, I take a hold of Pam's hands and I pray a blessing, God's blessing in her life. I pray a hedge of protection around her and I pray that God keeps her safe in his word that day. And that, she is a Proverbs 31 woman. And she helps me with so many behind-the-scenes details that enables me to better minister.
3: I respect Jerry as a spiritual leader of our household. And I strive to submit to him in that. And I truly treasure the gift of his love for me.
2: Well, are we perfect at all this? Well, of course not, because... Well, because Pam's not perfect, but. <laughs> Oop. Uh, but we do strive with Romans 12, verses 10 through 12, to love one another with genuine affection, and we love delighting the other one.
3: Not being lazy and serving the Lord enthusiastically together.
2: Rejoicing together in our hope of the salvation through Jesus Christ, our
3: Lord. Being patient in times of trouble and keep praying.
2: My name is Jerry Lammers.
3: My name is Pam Lammers. We are are second. second.
0: So here's the big question as we wrap up. How are you going to end? Right? Who are you going to trust? Are you going to be more like Jerry and Pam and trusting God's guidance, trusting his voice, put value in it, focus on it, and follow through? Or are you going to be more like Jeroboam, who has these miraculous moments hears God's voice, but doesn't value it, doesn't focus on it, doesn't follow through. See, it's really up to you whether you're going to live first or second. If you want to live second, then we need to do this. We need to repent, and we need to align ourselves with God's guidance. Align yourself with God's guidance. Don't end like King Jeroboam did. But even after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways even after hearing a message like this, even after hearing a testimony like this, don't walk out of here continuing to follow your evil ways. Humble yourself, drop to your knees and start touching heaven. That's my encouragement for you. In just a moment, our worship teams are gonna come and they're going to play one song. In all of our locations, they're gonna play one song. And during that one song, I want to encourage you, come down to the altars that are in our auditorium, humble yourself, kneel down, and start touching heaven. Start seeking God's voice, put a greater value there. And as God directs you through his word and through the power of his spirit, focus in on that and follow through with it. Trust in God's guidance, and you'll live as second, and Jesus will live as first. After that one song, our campus pastors, they're just going to come up, and they're just going to quickly wrap up. And they're going to give you the opportunity to leave if you need to. But our worship teams are going to continue to play. And you're welcome to stick around and seek God and seek his voice as long as you want to and need to today. That's that's our promise to you. As long as you want to stay here and pray and seek God, our worship teams are going to stay and to facilitate the presence of God in this place. And in North Platte and down in our venue as well. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father... I thank you that your voice is powerful and is true and that your word rings out and that it's clear. You never lie to us. You never deceive us. Your word is powerful and it's true and it's clear. God, help us to have a value, a value of hearing your voice, that we might recognize your voice, focus in on what you said to us and follow it through, that, Lord, you would be first and that we would live as second. Lord, I pray that for this congregation, that they wouldn't be swayed by some false prophet, by some messed up doctrine, by some message that doesn't, doesn't promote Jesus, the real Jesus who came in bodily form. Lord, protect this church in the days ahead. May this be a safe refuge for people in our communities of Kearney and North Platte to run to and find salvation through Christ. Find an encounter like Jerry and Pam did, a real encounter with the power of God's presence that transforms their life radically, that they never turn back and they keep looking forward to being the men and the women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.